0: race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by ace So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls.
1: Hello, everybody. This is State Senator Bill Stanley and I'm Leaning Right. I'm Hermie Sadler and I'm Turning Left. This is
2: Leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the senator, powered by
3: Pace of magic. Can, can I stop already? Yeah, That's I know you had introduced. I know, but this is the reason I want to do it. Hermie, you've turned right a lot. <laughs> hit the <wall. laughs> hit <laughs>
1: Exactly.
3: <laughs> and Sadler. You're leaning a lot at night, late, about 10, 10.30. <laughs> okay, I'm Stanley, by the way. Oh, That's you, sad. Oh, you too. It, I, mean, I thought it, you it, knew him. Yeah, yeah, well, I do know
1: him. So, look, what, what we did is, in, and we're sitting high atop the uh, Stanley Law Group building at the Stanley Law Group studio in the Stanley Law Group Conference Center. And we put one of these large, um, beautiful posters of our, of our logo uh, up on the wall here at the uh, conference room. And what you find is is no matter how time how many times we do this podcast if you look at when we start the uh show both of us are looking up at that when we say I'm leaning right I'm Senator Bill Stanley and so our I, guest is already talking and nobody even knows who our guest is yet. well and that's typical for him because he always injects himself <laughs> where he probably doesn't need to be but or he always ends up being a part of the story where you never really thought he'd be and that we've got that's a lot a of that true. today that's true ladies Very and gentlemen true. I'm gonna leave this to you Hermie. uh uh, why don't you introduce our guest in uh, today's podcast?
2: Well, before I do that, I have to finish <laughs> the thought of leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is powered by pacematic because one thing that this person I thought would know by now is We're to Brian have anything is, yeah, successful, you have to have sponsors. <laughs> exactly. You are right. And you get sponsor mentions in as you have committed to do, and you don't talk over top of <laughs> Show host when they're trying to eloquently state the sponsor.
1: Right again, Hermie.
3: So, so y'all are now hosts. So y'all elevate it. He's, this he's thing talking without host. being
1: talked to. <laughs> I mean, it's, do we even have to introduce him? Let's just see how long we can go <laughs> and just never mention his name. See if people can figure out who this guy is. Because I swear nobody knew his name when I introduced him from the floor of the Senate. Gave him uh, an introduction. Uh, but I, they're like, how do you know so many important people? And I went, Chris? <laughs> really? Important? Like, famous. I'm like,
2: Chris million? Actually, actually, this guy is pretty famous. True. And we have got some stories to share. Our guest today is Chris Williams. I've known Chris um, since the early 90s when I hit the scene in uh, NASCAR, got my first opportunity in the Bush Grand National Series. I met Chris through none other than Dale Earnhardt.
3: Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Name-dropper.
2: We got a lot to cover with Chris today. Uh, first of all, not at the top of the list. Well, probably at the top of the list for us. The Smart Modified Tour. Season kicks off this weekend down in Florence, South Carolina. It does. The two SS Racing Modifieds. will hit the track. But we want to go backwards, too, cause, because that's what Chris is doing now. But I'll say this, and I say it nicely about Chris. He was one of the people that revolutionized the merchandise market in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Really part of that boom, you might say, uh, with Earnhardt, kind of opened the door to a lot of us, too. You know, all the, We got peripheral benefits from that. So we want to talk about the Smart Tour. We want to talk about Sadler Stanley Racing. We want to talk about what you're doing with the tour. You've also got a brand new sponsor as well of the tour, Uh, but we also want to talk about
3: some Dale Earnhardt. Absolutely. Let's do that. What's better? Old friends, new sponsors. Now I'm gonna give you a chance since you trampled all over my
2: sponsor introduction. (laughs) I'm gonna give you a chance to mention your sponsor that you have for the Smart Modified Tour for this year.
3: Well, <clears throat> let me say that I'm glad I'm here just because I've got a lot of history with Hermie and, you know, his brother, Elliot. Uh, the Saddlers has, has, has been a mainstay not only in Virginia <clears throat> but in a racing world for some time. And and they've done so much more besides win races. Um, you know, they they have great character. Um and you know they've they've been on TV, but they're fun to be around. And I can tell you that it's a joy to represent <clears throat> these guys over the years. Um, and Senator here, uh, probably the one I've known the least out of everybody, but <clears throat> through a mutual friend, um, I got to kind of be a part of listening. <laughs> Uh, to counseling. You uh, talking about loudmouth? Is that my nickname?
1: That's my nickname.
2: I'm just, I'm just assuming that's who the mutual friend is. Anyway, I, I call him megaphone.
1: I understand. Oh, you're talking about that guy, not me. I got you. Now. So, so
3: the mutual friend was going through a situation, and I actually got to witness the senator as a lawyer, but also as a friend. Um, tackle something that he was passionate about. So I got to learn a little bit about what the senator done, uh, not only, um, you know, to the community, but also somebody that was going through something so dramatic. And I became kind of personal friends with the senator over that just because he he has a lot of tendencies that I have. He has a passion for the things that he believes in, just like Hermie and, and Elliot did. And so <clears throat> glad that our paths have crossed. Mine too. But much deeper than that, you know, you guys are visionists. You know, you have visions and uh, you have direction.
1: Minor hallucinations, actually, <laughs> not vision. It's after 1030. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes earlier on the weekend.
3: <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, you know, we are here to announce that uh, we have primary sponsor of our tour that's really going to help us uh, elevate what we do and what we've um, become over the last year and a half. And the Smart Tour is a platform that really helps the modified world and the racers gravitate to something that everybody loves 600 um, horsepower, ground pound in atmosphere and, and racing. But, uh, you know, our new sponsor is the Smart Modified Tour, but it's powered by Pacematic. And uh, I got to meet uh, Mr. Pace and, and
1: all the folks <clears throat> at Motor Mile last year, thanks to you two. That yeah. was the uh, Stanley Law Group Stands for Small Business 99, was it not? Absolutely. And we were able to actually wedge Hermie into one of those cars. and uh, <laughs> Here we go. And run him around the track a little while. Uh, it was uh, it was good. It, it was, was good really to good. see him come up uh, to, don't, to speed don't,
2: quickly. Don't worry about me being wedged in the car because at some point we will get into the three and a half hour stay dry debacle at Motormile. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Mile. Whoa, I can't wait for that. <clears throat> Well, that's not good. That yeah, was, that. That's really exciting. I mean, uh, pace has really stepped up and is really showing its support for our local communities, for our short tracks, for the Smart, the Southern Modified Auto Racing Tour Series. Um, they came down to the motor mile that one time, uh, brought a lot of people in there, a lot of convenience store owners that, that serve as their clients, customers, and friends, really family. I mean, Pace, if you meet all of, from Michael Pace all the way down, it's amazing to me in a corporate structure that you have so many people that not just get along, but swim, you know, row in the in the same direction yes. and ultimately really are great people. And, uh, and that's a really great thing. And they see they have a really good vision of seeing how they can help small businesses throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina with the tour sponsorship, but also uh, making sure that, you know, they're taking care of the history of, of stock car racing and they're preserving it by their sponsorship alone. Absolutely. Let's let's
2: first set the stage to tell the people exactly what the smart modified tour is.
3: Yeah. So <clears throat> actually, um and I'll and I'll kind of cut through a little bit of how we got here, but a couple of years ago, you know, I was uh, racing at Boma Gray. I know it's hard to believe that I was holding the steering wheel, as I call it, but I was having fun. <laughs> you were because, telling me
2: about that uniform you had. That was
3: like a <laughs> Jimmy a Hensley, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was
2: like a like a tent, like yeah, a um, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. It, well, it similar was similar
2: to the one that I had on it. Uh-huh. out. Yeah. it was.
3: It got a little tight though. Yeah, it, it, over a couple of years, Jimmy Hensley let me borrow one and. He was a skinny man. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was until <laughs> recent. Jimmy Hensley, great guy. He is. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Great driver. And uh, we'll get him on the podcast. Trust me. Uh, he, I talked to him about a, it. Knows a little something about the petroleum business, too. Yes, he does. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Do. shared that interest over yeah. the years. So they asked me uh, because they knew my background. They knew I was in licensing and they knew my business background. And a couple of drivers come to me and basically ask would I help them create a platform, um, to race. And I said, what is it? And they said, it's smart. And I said, you know, what, what is smart comprised of? And they said, basically it's, uh, you know, the Southern modified auto racing teams. And, um, <clears throat> we went down to Puddins. uh, people don't know who I'm talking about Puddin swishers. And we kind of brought all the teams in and a lot of different drivers, who's uh, your tire and a bunch of others to talk about what the opportunity would be. <clears throat> and, uh, to basically, you know, they asked me to do it and to help them out, and I did. And and I did because I had a passion for it. You know, my dad was the general manager there at Martinsville Speedway, and I grew up in the days of Ray Hendrick and Sonny Hutchins and <clears throat> Satch Worley and Paul Rafford and, you know, the guys that uh, I called heroes. And to be honest with you, I, I loved the Modifieds as much as anything. And so I grew up right there watching them, and I felt like that I needed to give back because, I mean, they've been in through so many different transitions you know, through NASCAR and <clears throat> taking it over and then kind of running a little bit up north. And the cool thing about me is I have that respect for the guys up north as well because, you know, the Richie Evans and the Jerry Cooks and the Jamie Tomanos and the Hirschmans and everybody else. And so, you know, I said, you know, I, I think I can create a platform to give these folks a, a chance to, you know, showcase what they do because <clears throat> it, it had struggled for a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And to be honest with you, um, it didn't hurt that <clears> – <throat> folks such as Bob Labani had an interest. We've got him in a race car and he loved it. It didn't hurt that Hermie come out there and last year and got the pass. That was the big stepping
1: stone for I mean that yeah. took it to another level. We right? went to
3: another level when Hermie showed up. Yep. And uh I thought Elliot was coming, but Hermie showed up, but dang I mean it is what it is. But <laughs> I'm just picking right. with you this dude. This podcast
1: was brought to you by <laughs> Leaning Right and Turning Left Sattler in the center. Uh goodbye everybody see you uh, next time
3: you know Herm- Hermie knows I'm picking with you but uh, you better do some more of that by the way or I'm gonna be upset oh it's it's that's all we do don't worry I got plenty to give back Dude, after, after stay tuned after I listen to your other podcast early I got a lot more questions a lot more questions I bet yeah
1: well we're not answering them on air right now. <laughs> <laughs> those are for later
3: yeah but uh, no fun. the podcasts are being really cool and fun and to be perfectly honest with you, I think that you guys bring a lot more to the table, not just because of the insight of what you're doing, because that's what you do. You know, you're sitting on, uh, you know, the Senate and you're, you're, you know, looking at bills and you're helping out small businesses and Hermie, he's Hermie's a plethora of a lot of things, you know, not only racing, but he has a lot of background at businesses and <clears throat> helps a lot and. You know, after that whole deal where he was running for the Senate, I don't understand all that. But
1: uh, uh, there's a lot there to <laughs> it. <laughs> you believe me? I hear it about all the time. <laughs> I mean, don't they care I'm a senator? No. 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 No, no it's it's, it's yeah. all about Hermie. Yeah. It's always all about <laughs> Hermie. Well. So uh, so the Smart
2: Modified Tour this year's how many races? Uh 13, 13 races.
3: Yeah. And first uh, one is this weekend, Florence, Florence. Yeah. Now, how, how can people watch these races? Well, flow, we, we signed a long-term agreement with uh, flow racing. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't be there in person, which we would love for you to be, mm-hmm. um, it's not in your region. Um, we would love for you to go to flow racing. Um, you can $150 get you Lord, have mercy. 300 racetracks now with uh, what's going on in the NASCAR world with all the dirt series and everything that's going on. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, you can watch a race every night, four or five different races every night and um, not see them all. And so they're going to cover all of our events. Um, Our voice, Eric uh, Brennan's going to be our voice. He's the ones that watched us last year. Um, We made sure that we kept it thanks to Terry Labonte um, after the first race that we did last year, <clears throat> Terry says, you got to get somebody in there that I can understand. And so Eric's been our voice and, uh, he'll be covering all of our races. So flow racing is a cool attribute, um, to what the Smarts growth is and going to be.
2: Well, I had the pleasure. It was so much fun last year at motor mile to go up and, I mean, I had fun racing too, but seeing all the, being back in the short track environment that had been a while since I had, been to the fan interaction that y'all do is great. Catching back up with Bobby Leboni again was great. Um, and from that, I think that night had a lot to do with the fact that as we sit here today, we have Sadler Stanley racing, Mm -hmm. which is another vehicle, just like this podcast is for us to continue to keep our message out front about what we're doing, uh, what we're trying to do for small business and what we're trying to do, um, you know, uh, keeping up with Bill in the political arena, talking about law. We've had some, some wonderful guests that have covered all these different things. But, you know, from October to now, you think about how much has changed and what's going on because of us coming to that race at Motor Mile. And so what – Hermie's looking for you to thank us. That's no, right. but, no. Well, what, actually, what? It, what? It, it's
3: your, your visions, both of your your visions. I mean, you
2: can thank us if you want to.
3: Well, I'm trying to. Yeah. And <laughs> and, and and you know, both of your visions and what you were trying to get accomplished in helping uh, a lot of different individuals, other than just small businesses as well, um, basically gravitated everything to where we're at today. Um, you know, there's a voice platform, there's a brand platform. Um, there's a small business platform. There's a, a lot of different other things that's going on right now. Community a, platform, a community platform, yeah. and it's just you know it's all being recognized. And you know every chance you get <clears throat> to speak the truth and to help that cause out um, is applauded. And you guys are doing good at it. what uh,
2: having a sponsor like PesoMatic. So you, you're <coughs> you're I mean, modified racing obviously has been around forever and ever, but your involvement really in this tour is is young. Oh, absolutely. So, what can a sponsor and a partner like Pacematic help you? Do? So, what can the competitors uh, expect? What can a- the.
3: Everything. And, and look, as a competitor, you know, and I laugh because it's all true, but, you know, last year we had 2,000 to win, and, you know, Bob Labani made reference to even in his, his Facebook page you know, I won $2,000 and it became a joke because, you know, you can't, the drivers out there are not racing to make money. They're not doing it. They're doing it because they're passionate for what they do and what they love. And Hermie, I can tell you right now, I know that's what you're doing it for, you know, in most cases, you're not going to win probably now with our purse going up to 3,500. And we're going to have a couple of races. It's going to be 6,000. And we have one 10,000 to win race. And so, you know, you're, you're racing for an opportunity to make a little money, right? But number two is it's all about the car count and everything that goes on, anybody that's ever run a track, anybody that ever understands what goes on, it's about that car from 11th to 30th, mm-hmm. right? And so we're trying to put that money in the middle. We're trying to give them an opportunity to break even so they don't have to go home and tell their wives that, you know, I've spent... You know, two thousand dollars to win five hundred. Right? We're trying to eat into that a little bit and and give a platform and pay Somatic what they do. It changes. You mean people tell their wives how much money they spend racing? <clears throat> well, they don't. <laughs> but there's somebody out there. Damn! I never <laughs> glad I never thought about that. <laughs> it finds out what's going on. But you know, pay Somatic not only from the points fund, but not only from the purse. Uh, but now there's other things in inside the race that helps that uh, we give away tires with our our sponsors. We give away. We don't give away. We we give a halfway leader award. You know we have uh, the stage. We have the hard luck, and so all of this adds up. And let's be honest: without the sponsorship, without them committed, because they have to be committed, because they're partners of yours now, right? They have to be committed in the message. And what's going on. And the cool thing about Paysomatic is they sit down and it's like, what do you need? Like, wh- how can we help that driver? How can we help that small team? Because they understand small businesses and they understand what it takes to get to the track. Because you know as well as I do, Hermie, there's 70 hours of preparation going on before you ever get there sure, on Sunday, sure. uh, Saturday. You one, know,
2: One thing that's been cool and fun on my dealings with pacematic as it relates to the race team they're new to the racing arena okay so but in a way that's been refreshing because all of their questions and initiatives and things they want to do are more related to the local community mm-hmm. yep. how to bring in or involve local small businesses retailers, how to how to make it a community event, mm-hmm. how to make it interactive for the fans that are there live at the racetrack, I mean, I've been around some of those meetings and conversations that you've had with them. So, in a way, that's, you know, you're going to put the focus on the racer. Yep. I'm going to put the focus on my race team. But Pacematic's like, how can we draw in the whole community? Yep. How can we make the experience better for the fans that are coming out to watch all those things? So, in a way, it's been really refreshing to have a sponsor come in and really. Have never done this before because we've all been around situations where people come in. Oh, I've done this before. This is what we've always done. This is what you know. It's really, I think, open sets it up nicely, Bill, that that I know hits back something that you're passionate about, and that is that grassroots
1: community involvement in in racing that we're trying to go back and reestablish. And that's and that's uh, we've said it before on this podcast. We'll say it again because you know at the peak, and you were a part of that peak, uh, and I would say that was probably around 2001. Uh, you know, you'd have to wait a couple of years to be, to buy tickets to I Martinsville. It was always sold out yeah. beforehand. Um, we saw that ebb away, and it's kind of it's kind of gotten away from itself. I think from the glory days of NASCAR, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and and really though, we got to get back to what where we started, where the sport started, and it really started in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, with the moonshiners who wanted to race each other with their with their cars that they'd they'd souped up themselves, and and a sport was born. But a lifestyle, a way of life was born, uh, a a family kind of environment, community kind of environment. Uh, All of those things came together to make NASCAR what it was, and I've seen that kind of go away. I still watch it religiously, but it's not your father's NASCAR. It's not the one, you know, I remember when they used to do the Daytona 500, they'd show you the second half of it. Uh, do you guys remember that Wild World right. of Sports? Yeah, yeah Wild yeah. World Sports. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Be halfway through, and, uh, but we would be waiting for it. Uh, it's just it's it's getting back to what the the beginnings of this sport are because you know what what I've learned is and and we we've learned in, in a podcast, but you know the number two watch sport in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the number two money making sport uh, and spectator sport in the Commonwealth of Virginia behind college football. Is stock car racing, mm-hmm. and not necessarily NASCAR, and so you're really energizing the communities not only with, you know, bringing attention to those historic tracks, but also pace and and your tour are not highlighting just that history, but also those small businesses are going to benefit from from having a great w- race weekend with your Smart Tour coming in there with Bobby Labonte. With Hermie Sadler and Elliot Sadler, who says he'll wave a flag, but he's not driving the car. (laughs) We're going to have a second car, as we've said before, that's going to have a NASCAR Legends in there. That's going to help put more butts in the seat. And Pace just sits there, and they want to make sure that even the small businesses benefit, especially the ones that they're loyal to, their operators, the small convenience stores. I mean, that's the community that started racing. I think if we get back to that, then we can reinvigorate racing, because the best racing, as we say in politics, the best government is at the local level. The best racing, I believe, is at the local level and we need to get back to that.
2: That was one thing that was so fun for me at Motor Mile. You know, Chris did too and I, you know, I got a rare opportunity that I wish I had taken more advantage of at the time but a rare opportunity to race in the Truck Series, Mm -hmm. in the Bush Grand National Series, in the Cup Series, do tv nationwide tv been around all of that and after a while you know we talked a couple episodes ago about when elliot and i decided to step away and why and what was important and all that but sometimes when you get up there you you, it's not as fun as it used to be when you have all these responsibilities and things of that nature but when i got to motor mile from the other competitors to the Crew, men and women that working on the cars, they were all there because they love racing. Absolutely, I mean, I, I don't know that I saw anybody there that was there because because they make a living in racing. Now yeah. some people, you know, build cars and vendors and but but by and large, the drivers and the people working on the cars, weekend warrior type yes. guys that really was refreshing.
3: Yeah, me. And, and and let's be honest, I mean, as we were growing up, you was introduced to racing by somebody, yep. right? There's yep. somebody that made an impression on you. Could have been your brother, could have mm-hmm. been somebody else, could have been an uncle, you know, in your case or whatever. And, you know, people ask me a lot of times, you know, you know, why did most people do it back then? Because it never was for the money. It was either because you was introduced into it or you was working for somebody that you didn't want to let down. Or you was trying to learn to progress further into what racing was all about. Mm-hmm. And so you wasn't getting paid. I mean, heck half the crews never get paid now, right. you know, they just don't get paid. And you know, the reason, you know, even Earnhardt, we we talked about this many times, me and Dale, I told him, you know, long time ago, he says, why do you do it? I said, I want a chance to work with you. And I built a relationship. I mean, Earnhardt told me I was one of his top five friends, period. And when when he can tell you that after years of working with you, it means, the things that he instill is you use honesty, integrity, trust, and loyalty, right? And that's important to me. But it's important, you know, to those individuals that are helping the Saddlers or helping the Baba Labanis or whatever. It's the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It's the journey, right? And, and that's what racing is really all about, you know, learning as you go and respect the person you're doing and, and, you know, not giving up. Sometimes it may be, you know, 15, 16 hours in the garage, but you're doing it because of the passion you have for the sport.
1: Well, and we can see that with our driver, the 22 driver, Jonathan Brown, John Boy, who's got quite a reputation. I mean, he was in a reality series madhouse, but he's got these three guys that we met when we went down to, to Phil's uh, shop. And I was interested, as could all be, about these guys, and I'm, I'm like, okay, so I thought they were part of Phil's staff. I thought they're, <laughs> no, they just, they love racing so much, and they love helping out John Boy that they they change tires, they help with the car, yep. and they spot for basically, you know, I'm sure John uh, John Boy gives him a little bit of the purse, but it's for the love of the sport. Absolutely, and to be a part of a winning team. And now, you know, we're building uh, a two car team that's going to be competitive the first year out. We've got a competitive driver. We've got a hook, which is also a Hermie Sadler in the seat of South Boston yes. or Ryan Newman. If we can get him, anybody, you know, a Wallace out there. Uh, people are gonna come because they want to see Bobby Labonte racing Kenny Wallace or sure. or Hermy. Another element, and, we're and John bring, Boy as he runs for a championship. Another
2: game. element we're gonna bring too, that I've talked with Elliot a little bit about, and uh, we want to also provide some opportunities. I know we want to get legends in the cars and all that, but like Elliot, we talked on our previous podcast is big into I racing.
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: So we've talked about let's take somebody that accomplishes something big in I racing 100% and give them an opportunity. Yeah. Cause they're not going to get
3: it anywhere and else. i are not going to get
2: anywhere else. I agree. with And 100%. I've also on top of everything else, you know, I'm in the go-kart business. I really got Ellie and I both, I really love for racing with C, C- minute in the karting world. Mm-hmm. And I'm still involved in karting to this day. Mm-hmm. So I've mentioned a couple of my guys that are in my karting community. You know, I'd like to give them a shot somewhere along the line to drive one of these cars. Yeah. Because you know, I was able, and my brother was able to have an opportunity to to get that shot. Yeah, that
3: is hard to get these days. Yeah, you just don't get them. You know, you a just lot, don't get them. A lot so of if people. I
2: and, and look, if we can, if I can take a guy that's in my karting family, and if he earns an opportunity, I can put him on the track with Bobby Labonte. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, if we can take somebody that's eye racing. Guru for Elliot. Yeah. And let's say he wins or does well in the Coca-Cola series. Yeah. And Elliot can say, hey, if you accomplish A, B, C, D, and E, we're going to put you on a smart modified tour. And race against Bobby Labonte and Burt Myers and Jonathan Brandt." Yeah. I mean, so we really have got some opportunities that I think, you know, is just as much as I am looking forward to a Kenny Wallace or uh, Joe Nemechek, or uh, Todd Bodine, these people that I have spoken to about racing for us, just as excited I, as I am about that, I'm excited about seeing the big eyes yeah. of a teenage, early twenties yeah. driver. That, wow, yeah. you know, that's really, you know, I mean,
3: they don't get that chance.
2: They always. don't get that chance. So we can put them in a live, living, breathing. Race car on the track with and look, I mentioned Bobby Labani because obviously the name recognition, but there's
3: the whole field. I raced against him at Motor Mile. They're great. They're great. It, it ain't, you know, in our series. I mean, everybody knows we had first seven races. We had seven different pole winners and yeah. seven different winners. Yeah, and between that says a lot. Yeah, it really. Between do. what
2: pacematic is doing and what we're actually gonna. There's going to be more notoriety. There's going to be more attention brought to this series. Absolutely. You know, this year and the following year. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot of different um, hooks in the water yeah. to to really put our money where our mouth is and provide real well, life opportunity. Because we stick a high racing guy in there. Look, he gets a top five. That's a, that's
3: a, look, That's a stepping stone. People going to look, look let's, at. It. Let's yeah. let's let's be honest. We have been around this sport for a long time. Yeah. If if we can't think of the ideas and the things that can promote that young driver, I mean, look at Caleb Hetty. Mm-hmm. Caleb Hetty runs in the Legends Series. He comes out, runs for Tommy Baldwin, wins two races for us. I mean, I remember the very first race he come and practice, and he wrecked at Caraway, but he was strong after that. He he is a talent. Mm-hmm. He he got a shot, right? Yeah. And if I mean, in paceomatic I mean, let's also talk about this. I mean, you was there with the ride along program. Yep. You know where else uh, can you come, and we're going to provide this this year through paceomatic is the Ride Along program for with paceomatic and you know Bob Labani did, you did last year, and and gave kids and sponsors and different people an opportunity uh, to That's get. That's a the good rest-
2: way to tell a sponsor to bag off when they're complaining about uh, no, not, performance. <laughs>
3: yeah, one hundred. Hop
2: in this car and ride. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they
1: shut up! You don't hear a damn thing from them the rest of the year except. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Hey, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners that leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is sponsored by Pacesmatic. matic is an entertainment company that develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving. Especially in the Commonwealth of Virginia.
1: Especially right now in the Commonwealth of Virginia due to you stepping up, being courageous and,
0: uh, and fighting an unconstitutional law. So I give you credit for that. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with. But saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had. Pay off your credit card debt. And even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started. And you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks,
2: this is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace of So you brought up Dale Earnhardt. Yes. That's what I want to talk about. Uh, Yes. How did you first meet and what started your relationship with Dale Earnhardt?
3: Well, you know, I I tell people I'm going to write a book. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know that I was with and around Dale quite a bit. But you ask, and I'm going to tell you, because I don't think too many people's heard this story. So I had played for Jerry Mason in a basketball, three state championships, and my appendix had ruptured on a Friday night game. <clears throat> and uh, so back then, back in the day, you know, you had to miss three full days before the doctor released you to go back to school. And I had never missed a day of school, ever. And uh, I was in 11th grade. <clears throat> and uh, Dale was down at uh, the Speedway testing. And uh, my dad, of course, was a general manager. He sees me at home because, you know, I, we live right on the Speedway Road. And he's like, What are you waiting to at school? And I said, They they sent me home. They said I had to have three full days out, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. The doctor wouldn't release, and, you know, Dr. DeVault wouldn't let me in. And so he's like, Well, just come on down here. It says, Hot Shoe kid down here uh, named Dale Earnhardt. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I know. I seen him. You know, he ran this, ran that. It was good. And uh, so we went down there, and I got this all on video. My mom had one of them beta cameras, you know, these big beta cameras. So I went down there, and I was, I was at flag stand, and I was on Pit Road, and I, was, I went down to turn one. And I, I was literally thr- three foot off the grass. If you remember, uh, back then, the track was not as wide. You know, they took that last groove out um, in the late 90s, you know, made it a little bit wider. But I was kind of on the grass and getting a shot of him coming by, and I was three foot off the, the curb. And so he comes in, and he's like, boy, why ain't you in school? And I said, stupidest thing ever. And so I went through the whole deal of, you this know. Is, this is Dale ask you this? Yes. Okay. This is Earnhardt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, uh, you know, uh, they wouldn't let me go back to school, and he, you know, in Earnhardt's way, that's stupid, you know. And so we were sitting there talking. And he said, why was you so close to the curb? And I said, man, you the champ. And I said, I knew you could handle it. And well, he got that shitty grin on his face, and he's like, I like this kid, you know. So I just hung around, hung around, and one of the most unique and craziest things happened. He didn't like his belts. He didn't like his seatbelts. And so he went in. I I got it on film. It's crazy. He cuts his seatbelts, and he duct tapes them. And he sees me looking at him, and he said, boy, if you ever race, you don't do this shit right here. He said, this will get you killed. Ironically, you know what I'm saying? It's just a moment in time that you just it, it sticks out to you now. But that was just the things that he did. And to be honest with you, that, that's the first time I ever met him. Um, Hank Jones, uh, I got to know him afterwards. And eventually I went to South Boston to a race that he was running. And I, I was working three or four jobs. I was working DuPont uh, lag operator. I was a screen print at Bassett Walker. And I was an, going to be an engineer and a land surveyor for Lawrence Cochrane. I was like, it's got to be a better way. And I was making twelve thousand, working three jobs, trying to go to college as well. Wow. I, was, I was like, "It's twelve thousand
2: a day, or twelve thousand a week, or
3: <laughs> about a year." Oh, <laughs> this is eighteen ninety-seven. Yeah, yeah, that's about so. right. So anyway, uh, Hank took me to South Boston, and and we met Dale. And and, and Hank didn't realize at the time. Tell everybody who Hank Jones is. Hank Jones, uh, Hank Jones uh, was one of the kind of the patriarchs of the souvenir business back in the day. He started off representing Bobby Allison and a few others, and then he kind of got Dale's likeness and rights and stuff, and Dale and him kind of partnered up and started a, a company called Sports Image. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Hank was, in, you know, into the souvenirs. And, of course, you know, the Martinsville Speedway, which a lot of people don't know, was the first track to ever let souvenir, independent souvenirs, on track property. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a vision. They, they knew that, you know, there was opportunity. Um, you know, and so, and plus, you know, the, you know, these, these races, people don't realize, and it's funny because, you know, I I listen to y'all's podcast and you guys are on each other all the time. And they say, it's about you, it's about me, it's about whatever, but you live in a world and, and I had to learn this quickly, you know, it don't move without that driver, right? I mean, the teams own the teams and, you know, they're there providing what's going on, but these drivers, um, you know, they don't demand it. It's just everything moves around them, and it's just like in your world as a senator, you know what I'm saying, and and a lawyer as well. You know, everything moves around, so you guys are kind of in control of your destiny. You're kind of in control of your likeness. You're kind of in control of the narrative that goes on, and you have to learn at an early rate that it's all about the driver. You know, the driver makes right. the world go round, right. you know, and so.
1: Well, personality, I mean, remember, it's an auto, you well, know, yes. it's a car, a domestic uh, produced car. And yeah. they've gotten away from the way it looks. It used to be, you know, what they say, race them on Sunday, sell them on Monday. Yeah. But it's always the driver that, that drives the personality drive, even the car. It, it drives it. And
3: so I learned at an early age with Dale and Hank and everybody else that, you know, these guys that drive these cars have, a, a, you know, an opinion. And you know, not, not all the time that it's one hundred percent correct, but generally, the opinion that they make is because they went through something already that showed them that it was wrong. And so I learned quickly that you know you got to take care of the drivers, and that's one thing that I've always done. And it's why the a lot of things that I touch is is successful, is is you know because I understand where I sit in the realm of things. I understand what the driver needs. I understand what that person needs. And what I try to do is solve it. I don't I don't try to worry about the glass half empty. I, I really focus on it half full and how can I make it better? And that's what I'm trying to do in, in all of my relationships is I build the driver up. I build the personalities up. I build the sport up. I build the sponsors up, you know, because at the same time that sponsor has the same necessary needs as that driver, right? They got to be represented well. Their brand is is what's made them what they are.
1: So, and so how does he put you in charge of doing that branding? When well, I mean, you're a young kid, basically well, working to, three jobs, you go to South Boston. Yeah, so you,
3: I, so I go to work for Hank. I'll, I'll give you this. I go to work for Hank, and and just like I said, you know, if Dale went to Indianapolis Raceway Park or he went to a lot of these other tracks, I'd volunteer to go. I would volunteer to be the souvenirs. You know, I wanted to be around Dale. I wanted to be around racing, but my work ethic was much different. You know what I'm saying. I solved the problems, and I love communicating to the fan, and so I had a very good niche of how to communicate that and and what they were looking for, and so as the years progressed, Dale decided, you know, he had he had uh, an opportunity to to buy the company out by himself, and he come to me and he said, I want you to be a part of it. He said, I want you. He said, I trust you. Uh, I you know, I like what you do. He says, and you know how to lead individuals. You know how to lead people. How old were you? Yeah, uh, at the time, I was probably about uh, 27. Wow. Yeah. And um, to be honest with you, I just kept that same integrity. And it's the funniest one of the funniest stories is Dale, you know, was kind of on his own. We had Davey a little bit, we had Michael a little bit, you know, we had a few people. Well, they wanted to buy out Ken Barbie, and we wanted to get much bigger. And Dale had a bigger plan with Bill because, let's be honest for with DEI you, right um, now, it for DEI. His... Yeah, well, in the, in the, in the licensing world, it was kind of sports image, motorsports tradition, and a few others. They didn't really have a conglomerate taken yeah. over. This is before the action performance days. Okay, and so Dale had this vision that to grow this sport as NASCAR was growing nationally, we had to be kind of become one. Well, it kind of all changed when Dale wrecked at Talladega and, and hurt himself pretty bad. He called me after the night after, and he's like, "We got to do something different." He said, "All their eggs is in one basket, which is him." And he says, "I haven't, I have enough vision to understand. We got to go get everybody together." So we went out, got Rusty's contract, and we got Bobby Labanis and Terry Labanis, and you know what? I mean, that was the first time that we brought everybody in together. And it's so cool because I build these relationships with Elliot and 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 Bobby Labanis, one of my best friends, and. You know Kevin Harvick and everybody that come along, but the cool thing about it is, is I try to give them the perception of, of of exactly what it is, because if you're honest with them, then they can relate, they can understand what's going on, and that's what I try to do today. And the funniest one was Rusty when I first got it. Rusty and Dale, you know, they they kind of butted heads. They were friends, they were, but when they got to the track, they were competitive. And Rusty come to me and he's like. I want the same treatment because I'd represented Dale since eighty eight to ninety-six until we got everybody in one. And Rusty's like, I want to be treated the same. And so Dale come to me and he said, You got to treat him the same. And I'm like, What what do you mean? I'm, I'm I'm you know, he's got good spots, he's got, you know, everything that he needs. And he says, Chris, he says, Everybody sees how you gravitate towards me. You have to give them the same opportunity. And so me and Rusty sat down and I gave Rusty the map. That I would get from the tracks, and I said, "Rusty, this is how they give it to me. These are the locations." And these I, are merchandise haulers. merchandise haulers. We had a, we had hundred. I had I had sixty one at one time, but we had a hundred and thirty four on track Telling,
1: property selling diecast shirts. Oh yeah, everything, um, hats, hats, anything, sweatshirts, jackets. Un- hey, oh. you know,
3: in the heyday, yeah,
2: on any given weekend, yeah, when Earnhardt was the hottest, yeah. How, how much of the total revenue, how much of the total gross sales of merchandise on a given weekend were Earnhardt?
3: Um, back in the heyday when he was winning championship after championship, he was well over 70% of the industry. 70% and of the whole industry. And, and, I, and I can tell you, you know, I won't tell you which tracks, but I yeah. could tell you that he would do in excess of 7 $8 million in one race. Yeah. I mean, it was that crazy. Now, of course, O1's a different world. Because when he passed, I mean, everybody was out, you know, trying to get all that stuff. But those numbers, yeah, well, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different story. They were counterfeiting. But well, just think
2: about this: of all the we talk about the star power, and back in those days, oh yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was ten or twelve guys that were pretty, you know, well-known championship caliber drivers, and you got one guy. Selling over seventy yeah. percent of the merchandise at yeah. the racetrack.
1: I mean, that's, yeah, and he wasn't winning most popular driver from the fence. or well, well Bill Elliott won. Bill
3: Elliott Elliot won it yeah. every year, but let me let me finish the story because it builds up to what we're talking about. So Rusty Please. gets the map, right? Rusty gets the map, and I said, Rusty, pick where you want to go. So Rusty picked where he wanted to go, and so what I did is to, to to let him know that I was a little bit stronger in business and and what's going on. I moved Earnhardt away from him. I moved him in a different row, hmm. and Rusty Sales was actually down for the first time. And Rusty comes to me the next week and he's like, "What? What? What's going on?" And I said, "Look, I said me and John Bickford talked about this a long time ago. If you can see Dale's trailer, there's so many people in line trying to buy his product that all the trailers around him gets the runoff right." well, I'll get these earplugs over here. I'll get this over here. I like Rusty enough to get this. And people didn't realize that because what I was trying to do was just not block up that aisle because wherever Earnhardt's trailer was, the row was blocked. Hmm. And so Rusty wanted to be in that spot, but he didn't realize that you had to be in sight of Dale Earnhardt to have an opportunity to make money. And so when we went the next week, Rusty's like, what happened? That's the first time I've been X amount of sales. And I told him, and he says, "You know what? Just like Dale, I trust you. You do you do what's right." And so, I started doing that with the top drivers and showing them how we can make more money if you just let me control the foot traffic. Hey,
2: the same thing applies
3: with like convenience
2: stores, mm-hmm. truck stops, and restaurants. That's the business we're in, right? And most people that don't know any better like when a new restaurant or especially a name recognizable restaurant gets their name up on a signboard off interstate 95 or 85 people will be like, man, I bet you're up. I bet you're mad that Chick-fil-A is coming or I bet you're mad that so and so's coming. We're like, no. Yeah. Because the more traffic that gets drawn off yes. that interstate to come, that means we got more chances to sell a gallon of gas or a yeah. Snickers bar Absolutely. or whatever. So the more people you get, Yeah. In that group. Yep. Everybody, everybody has a
3: chance to do better. Yep. Absolutely. And so, you know, as that started progressing, um, you know, there was just a lot more respect from the drivers because they know they can rely on me to do what was right, not only for the sport, not only for foot traffic, right. But also giving them the opportunity to, to make as much as they can. And these drivers. You know, back in the very early days, they didn't do a lot of autograph sessions. I mean, every once in a while they would do it. And we sat down and just said, hey, man, give us this time. And Elliot, I'll I'll tell you, Elliot and Hermie both they, they they gravitated towards it. I mean, Elliot was a very likable guy, and NASCAR used Elliot a lot. People don't realize that if they needed him to do a personal appearance or whatever, and Elliot always done it. Elliot was that driver that was accessible, and a lot of them were Well, won- you
1: know, one of the kids is always good-looking and nice, and the other one, you know, and <laughs> you know.
2: you know, the other one's sitting here looking at you. <laughs> you ever have a moment, Chris, when you just think, I'm sure you have, like, how the hell did I end up here? <laughs> Why am I doing it? What 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 am I doing? I'm having yeah. one of those moments. Right. Well,
3: it happens all the time. You know, you you know. But anyway, it's it's been it's it that ride and that era, and, and, and Hermie can tell you, in the '92 to the 2005 era, it'll never it'll never happen again. Number I don't one. Think so. Well, no, no, no. I, it's it's not that I don't think it's just NASCAR was growing so quick. Um, the age of phones was different, you know, cause
1: there was well, stuff. even the age of drivers. I mean, most of the drivers were older and began older. I mean, I think Jeff Gordon was, was the kind of yeah. era when all of a sudden who's this young kid. Yeah. And, you know,
3: back then, um, the, the stories that was going on into track and uh, whether it was the party in or whether it was the, uh, the, the, you know, inside the infield at night or whether it was at the bar, nobody had these cameras. And so everybody was a little bit more. Mm. Fluent. You know what I'm saying? And it was fun because it was nobody telling on somebody. And it's not that they were doing something wrong. They was just out having fun. Well, then now you have phones. And if they see somebody at a bar, then you know, right. sponsors are worried about it. You know what I'm saying? You could it, lose a
1: sponsor by doing
3: something. Uh, uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And so it kind of changed the demographics of what was going on. But the drivers understood how they could market and manage. And then action performance come along, let's be honest, and it changed the game. Uh, Fred Wagonall come in and and I Dale sold the company, so I moved lateral from being vice president of of sports image to vice president of action performance, and then Fred just brought a lot more money in, you know, a lot more guarantees. Um, I mean, I've heard drivers and I've heard car owners said they made more money you know, in the 96 era to, to 05 than they ever made the rest of the time in NASCAR because Fred was bringing in bigger sponsors. They were bringing in movie contracts, movie sponsors, the Jurassic Park deal, you know, with Gordon. And so the whole money, the whole money flux into NASCAR elevated from that 96 to 2005 realm. So talking about a, like a
2: night you remember always. And I've told Chris this story before, but so I had raced against, Earnhardt, a couple of times when I came in in '93, uh, ran against him in a couple of bush races. But so I'm racing the Virginia's Lovers car, the first Richmond race in the spring of '93. Charlie Spencer and a group of guys over at Heritage Chevrolet in Chester, Lenny Pond, all them asked me about coming to do an appearance with them because uh, I was driving a Chevrolet at that yeah. Oldsmobile at the time, I think, yeah. for, uh, for Don Beverly. So I said, sure. And then they told me, after the fact, they said, well, it's with Dale Earnhardt. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is something. I was staying at the Omni Hotel, and Charlie Spencer just said, we'll come pick you up at 6 o'clock, just making up a number. We'll come pick up at 6 o'clock at the hotel. I'm like, okay. I've known Charlie a long time through the car business, you know. Well, they pull around in a white van. I get in the van, and it's Charlie in there and Don Hawk Mm -hmm. and Dale Earnhardt. Mm They picked me up with Big E in the truck, in the van. That's awesome. And I'm like, man, I'm in. But so we went, and he just made me feel like, as you know, he could be. He Dale was, in a lot of ways, he understood, like, the WWE oh, yeah. um, gimmick or personality, like, the way he was. Riding in the car he to want, an appearance. He wanted
3: to be mysterious and he was but he yeah. was open just like us. One hundred. But
2: now when he got to the we pulled up to the dealership and there's ten thousand people he changed. wrapped around. Yep. He put the glasses on yep. and put the black leather jacket on. Yep. And he was a badass. Yep. But driving in the car, he was just talking, hey, y'all, you know, y'all doing any hunting? You know, how about your brother? Because Elliot was running late models at the time, asking all these things. And I'm like, I think the Daryl Earnhardt I see at the racetrack. Then when I got to the appearance. That's the one. Yeah. But so we get there, and I don't want to exaggerate, but I know it had to be ten thousand people there. They oh, yeah. were wrapped all, all right. the way around the building, yep. and they had sold like armbands. Yep. So they they go first of all, all y'all y'all guys are over there. Every yep. time somebody got to counterfeit something, yep. they're just taking people's stuff from them. Oh, one hundred. I'm like, somebody's gonna get shot <laughs> <No>. over here. <laughs> yeah. But what I've about, Dale. So let's just say we were signing from seventy nine. Yeah. Nine o'clock gets there, and there's still seven thousand people there.
3: And Dale gets up and puts yep. his jacket on and said, yep. "All right, buddy, let's roll." Yep. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm telling you, it's well, And and you know, they didn't get mad. It's it's a, but that particular night. Yeah. Dale walked off with with his group, and
2: uh, he came back about five minutes later and sat down again. And he said, We're here for another hour.
3: that uh, that's because the dealership had to give him a little bit more money yeah. to stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I asked, that, him, that I asked him later, I said, uh,
2: what 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 happened there? And uh, he kinda you know, kinda chuckled and he uh I think at the time they paid him an extra fifteen grand yeah. to stay for an extra hour. Yeah. This was nineteen ninety three. Yeah. But he, you know, he told me then, which was uh we had some, you know, racing this that, and yeah. the other, but he said, I'm gonna tell you something now. If you ever get into a situation where you can make it, you got to make it. Yeah. Because it's not always going to be that way. Yeah. You know, but yeah. he, I mean, there was people still wrapped around the building three times and he yeah. stood right up and put it, you know, yeah. and then he sat right back down. And once he sat back down, he was,
3: Yeah. he was good, but he, uh, it, he was, it was business. Yeah. Uh, it was business. Unbelievable. Um, I, I laugh. Uh, you, you talk about that. Did uh, did you see him get paid? I'm sure it was cash. It wasn't a check. Oh, it,
2: well, it was, a, uh, it was a, uh, a duffel bag. Yeah.
3: So, what did you get paid?
2: <laughs> I got paid to be able to hang out with Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> and that Chevy was worth t-shirt. it all. That was worth it all to me. Yeah.
3: yeah. I used to go with him to different tracks and stuff, and I, I, I laughed.
2: I had uh, a little bit of a. Mine was an obligation I had with General Motors. Yeah. Because I had just. Uh, th- through the help of General Motors in 1992 purchased a Sadler Auto Center which ended up being Sadler Auto Center of South Hill yeah so I'm 25 years old and with the help of General Motors bought a car dealership in South Hill so at and, the time I was the youngest General Motors yeah. dealer in the country
3: and, and you're with Superman now
2: yeah so my my uh, my appearance was, re- was yeah. regarded you know I was doing something for Chevrolet yeah and and Dale was being paid by by the dealership or whatever, but he um, you know, you think about it now, like in those days, I mean, he's getting fifteen, twenty grand, twenty five grand in nineteen ninety three yeah. for sometimes one hour or sometimes two hour appearance and selling merch. Yeah, I mean that was
3: yeah. A lot of times, if he was going to a dealership, that in you know, a duffel bag or or some type of bag, but yeah. there was a lot of times he'd go to the track and he he'd want to get paid cash. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know this. Not very few people know this, but he'd put the money in his boot. Mm-hmm. So he would stuff the cash down in his boot. And I say, what, what, what happens? What happens if you drop it? He said, you'll pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd always run because a lot of times you couldn't park in the infield at mm-hmm. these short tracks. You'd have to be on the outside, and so we'd run to the car or we'd run to the van or whatever. And I'd, I'd be always looking, you know, looking to see where the cash is falling out, but it'd always stay in that boot. You know, he'd packing in around. But the I've, boot.
2: Al- I've always been so. I know Elliot feels this way too. Elliot got close with you know Dale Senior. Oh yeah. Interest of hunting and and actually closer with Dale Junior. But I've always appreciated how he how was then and am now still in the big scheme of things a nobody. And this guy, you know, made me feel like yeah, you know, made me feel important. And he he um, I'll always remember those those times that we that I got to spend with him that I was lucky to be able to do that. But he always made me feel like I was, yeah, he, I belong there just like he did.
3: Yeah. He never, he never, he never forgot who was around him, mm. you know, and who helped him along the way. Never. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I got a funny one too. So we were at the Martinsville Speedway. and You know, he, he, he would always find in a helicopter and I'd either pick him up in the mule or, or the blazer or whatever it's Tahoe I was driving or whatever. This particular time is a blazer and I'd pick him up the helicopter pad and we would go to Pitt Road, and a lot of times he'd be late, you know, and this one particular time he's sitting there, and the practice had already started, and they're calling him on the phone and stuff, and he's like, what? He says, I'll be in there in a minute. I mean, how many laps I got to run at Martinsville? So he said, I want to sit and talk to you. So we was talking about life and a lot of different things that we talked about, hunting a lot and stuff, and this guy had this big old camera trying to get a picture of him, and so he leans in, and he's in the car. We got the windows up, and it's in a blazer. And I'm sitting over there, and he'd lean in, and the camera would hit hit the car, right? It hit the car. It hit the car. He says, "If it hits this car one more time," and sure enough, the guy leans in, hits the car. He said, "Hey," he said, "You're tearing the guy's car up." He said, "Back off! I'll see you in a second. He rolls the window up, and everybody that was standing there, which at the time, anytime Ernart was around, two thousand people, it was like, Phew, they all backed away from the car. He said. That'll save you a dent. I looked at him. I said, it's your car, bud. He said, this is my Blazer? I said, yeah. He said, shit. <laughs> so, but, I mean, Dale was, uh, he, he he knew everything that was going on. It, 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 he knew he had a great relationship with Bill. Um, the drivers would come to him. Bill France. You know? Yeah, Bill France. And he would always you know, kind of be the voice uh, of of reasoning and what's going on. And sometimes Bill would tell him, this is what we need to do. And he'd go be the voice for the drivers as well. And NASCAR kind of revolved around it. I got to be sitting in a car or sitting in a house or sitting in a, coach or sitting in a hunting lodge and Bill would call and I would get to hear half of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I learned um, at an early age that it didn't really move unless Dale was involved in it, the and whole it, sport.
1: Now, when it came to Martinsville, your dad's general manager. Yeah. Martinsville, one of the greatest tracks, oh, I think, God. in all of I love it. What I think I heard was that when he would come to Martinsville if he if he had a car or even a rental car, he would park it in the in your mama's yard. Yeah, yeah. In your parents' yard.
3: Yeah, so my mom and dad live on a racetrack road and you know, Dale was the very first one that ever parked up there. And we gave him the spot on the corner so it, you know, they could back it in and when they come out, you know, they would just leave. And so he would come up the road. Sometimes he'd ride in, a, in an ambulance or sometimes he'd ride in a ret truck or somebody sometimes would give him a ride, very seldom. And he's actually the very first one that built his own transportation at track. So when he owned Sports Image and <clears throat> we were talking about, he said, I want you to come pick me up. I'm tired of, you know, trying to do all these things. And so he built this mule and uh, we built it the first year we, we bought it. And the first race at Daytona, he got rained on. He said, "You bring that thing up to the garage, up to the the race shop, and he built a whole top on it. This was before Kawasaki or anybody ever had tops on these things. And Dale built it, and they started building them around it. So Dale had the vision of this is what's going on, and so he would, we would, we would ride him to wherever his car was parked, or his helicopter was, or whatever the case would be. You know, we would ride him in that. But yes, he he uh, Richard Childers started parking up there, and you know now you know all the drivers park up there, but." You know, the cool thing was when Dale came in, Darrell Waltrip said this on uh, uh, an interview here not long ago, he said that he, he thought Dale and him uh, uh, stopped liking some of the drivers because he'd always go to, like, Chris Williams' house and park his coach at the house and stuff of that nature, but he done it just because, you know, at night we would cook steaks or whatever, and, you know, he couldn't let Teresa know he was eating steak, you know, because <laughs> she always had him on chicken or fish or something else, and he wanted steak, but, we had a lot of good times from the family side uh, with Dale and I had a lot of personal time with him hunting and doing other things and, and you know they're cherished and you know I, I I you know you know when the book comes out it's going to be impressive cuz right. I mean I'm not even touching the surface of what's going on with Dale. Well,
1: and you're going to need an attorney and I'm ready to do that. Now I know <laughs> Hermie's going to read our sponsorship uh, yeah. spiel right now but when when he finishes that I want to ask you both about the two Daytonas. Oh sure. The one that he won and then his last one. Sure. Pacematic is an entertainment company which
2: develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every time. Pacematic is focused on people having fun, the small businesses that love them, and generates millions of dollars in Virginia. And Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator is powered by Pacematic, and we appreciate Pacematic being involved with this podcast, the sponsor of Sadler Stanley Racing. Yes. That will debut this weekend in the Smart Modified Tour at Florence, South Carolina, which, ironically enough, is also now powered by Pacematic. So, a sincere thank you to everybody at Pacematic.
0: Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally i've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half and i don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance if you don't have it get it protect your family and i suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com.
1: And how do you get your tickets to go to Florence? Tell the listeners right now how they can go see the opening race of the yes. 2022 season. Yeah,
3: absolutely. You can go online if you hadn't already done so. You can go online and go to Florence Speedway, go on their website, order tickets. Um, you can also go on our new website, And it has a link that you can click on and it'll take you straight to the track. What's that Uh, website address? uh, It's uh, smartmodtour.com. Smart, S M A R T M O D, T O U R.com. Yep, that's our new website. It's going extremely well. We worked on it uh, in the last four months just trying to get it prepared and it has a lot of information about our sponsors and everything else. So uh, that's how you can do it. And we'd love to see everybody there. It's going to be a great race. You know, we we haven't even talked a little bit about this, um, but we've we've got about seven or eight new race cars that's coming on the tour this year. We averaged twenty one last year. Um, I think that number is going to be much more this year. Um, and let's be honest, I mean, Flo, you know, the reason why they wanted us is because they said they watched a lot of grassroots racing and our series. Uh, with the live pit stops and the stage that we put together just kind of changed the way the look of TV and, and racing was. And they wanted to be a part of it because for seven races, seven winners, you know, seven different poles, And so they they loved it. So we we have something to offer not only from the drivers that are in there. We've got like 11 champions. We have Hall of Famers in our yeah. series. And so uh, with the addition of new teams like yourself uh, that is bringing quality crew and racers, um, it's going to be competitive and it's going to be exciting.
1: And um, just we've plugged in your website with our website. You can always reach uh, the podcast and our race team, the Sadler Stanley Racing Team at www.sadlerstanleyracing.com. You can tell I didn't get the front.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. It happens.
1: It wasn't much of a fight. Yeah. Now look, um something that's always interests me because as a race car fan, watching it for so many years, watching all the times that, that Dale came so close but didn't win. Um watching him you know, I guess he dropped a tire uh, coming in the last tour, turns and one yeah. Daytona.
3: Yeah, hit hit a hit a Seagull. Yeah, yeah, ran out of gas. Him and Bowdine, a big deal in eighty six, he ran out of gas. I mean it's just, it just it, it it ached him. It well, really did Akeem. I'm guessing
1: both of you were there when he finally won. Am I I'm 100%. Yeah. Tell the listeners, tell me what happened, what you felt like, how he felt when he won the big one. Because that was always the <laughs> thing that they always said, can he win the big one? He can yeah. re- win all these races and championships, but he can't win the Super yeah. Bowl of he races. He won the Gatorade
3: qualifying race, what, eight or nine years in a row or something? Yeah, nine straight years. Nine, nine straight, straight, years. straight Rolexes, by yeah. the way. Nine. And I never got one. But that's beside the point. <laughs> Doesn't bother you at all, does it? <laughs> no. No, no. He he done a lot for me. Yeah. Uh my career and you know, just a lot of other things for our family and, you know, my whole family's in it. You know, my son oh, spots. Yeah. And so he, he he his trail for me was blazed, right? He he done good for me. But I I'll tell you, um, leading up to that week, he just had a different walk. I mean, he he had a chance to win. Um, you know, I, I, I think about Todd Parrott and them guys that was working, you know, on, on the uh, 28 car, and, you know, that was Jarrett on the 88 car, mm-hmm. they were always that, that you know, let's face it, they call it the Rouse motor, right? Yeah. It was always strong, but it was just a sense that week that something was going to, good was going to happen, and, you know, uh, that week he was positive, you know, he won the races up to that, and. You know, uh, he won, and and the crowd was unbelievable. I mean, I, I, when I was uh, on the souvenir trailer, we were chanting, "Earnhardt, Earnhardt, Earnhardt." We were backed up twenty deep, and I. I funny how it all even normally blow offs. We we call the the time of sale after the race a blow off. Normally, they last about forty five minutes to an hour. When we were an hour and a half into this thing, I mean, it was unbelievable. We were this is one of them seven million dollar days, is what right. I'm trying to tell you. And uh, all of a sudden, Earnhardt rides by on the back of a motorcycle. He's uh, there's uh, the, the this is after
1: he's won the ninety eight Daytona. Yeah, he's
3: going up to Unical seventy six. Dale yeah. always went to Unical seventy six, no matter what, and toasted victory with sponsors and Unical and everybody else. But this particular time, he was going to Bill Francis Suite, and he drove by, right, and he he laughed. And, and he grinned with that shitty grin that he always had. And I'm like, yeah, the crowd just, they start following it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. They took him away from me. But here they come back. So later that night, because he stayed for a long time, he really relished that moment. I mean, he stayed till dark 30. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, I remember him doing an interview on ESPN. Like, it, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, It was, uh, a, it was, was crazy. Interview.
3: But I, I'll never forget when he was leaving, we were, you know, we, we had to count money. And, I mean, it took a while. And we were down there counting, and uh, I heard something drive up a car. So I went out, and it was Dale and I walked over there, and I said, you know, I'm like, I'm pumped, because that's my man, right? Well, I, he said, how about that shit? I mean, that, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, that's how it yeah. went down. And he says, you staying in the morning? And I'm like, well, yeah, because, you know, generally, we would stay a half a day and sail the next day, because, I mean, we'd do hundreds of thousands of dollars the next day on the winter. I said, yeah, and he said, yeah, I'll be here, you know, because they had to induct the car and the Hall of Fame, right. you know, all that stuff that was going on. And uh, he was just so pumped up that night. It was the most amazing thing, because because that's the one, that's the check mark that every driver, you know, you know, Hermie, yeah. I, I got to win South Boston, I got to win this, you know, yeah. I, I won Orange County, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's just certain tracks you check it off, and they, the, you know, it's your and Dale. That was that was the exclamation point, to be honest with you.
1: 1998. What are your memories, Dale's yeah. victory at Daytona?
2: Yeah, to me, um I was there racing as a teammate with my brother at Diamond Ridge in the Bush Grand National Series. Um, but I just remember the day twenty five hundred win is just I knew by that time how big that was for the sport. You know, whether or not you were a Dale Earnhardt fan or not. If you loved NASCAR, you knew how big that was for the sport. You always look for ways to for your sport to get mainstream coverage, not just the bubble we lived in. And Dale always got that anyway, but to win that Daytona five hundred, uh, I just remember, you know, and being around him a little bit the following week and all that, you know, it just seemed like a um just like a it's it's hard to really believe that it was like that, but I really that weighed on him. Oh yeah. It don't matter how many championships and races and he had more money than he could ever spend and all that, but I just don't think he would have although he wouldn't come up. He wouldn't always say it. He wouldn't want people to know it got to him, but I, I don't think he would have been at peace.
1: Yeah. If he hadn't pulled it off. You know, they, they always say that Dale could see the wind could see the air. Yeah. Could see the draft. Yeah. Uh, was he a, a person that was, um, you know, based things on luck? I mean, cause it was, it always no. seemed like bad luck that cost him the race. It always seemed sometimes to be in the most heartbreaking of ways. I mean, was he superstitious? Did he believe in
3: luck? Um, he was a superstitious. I mean, there are some times that some things happen with some peanuts and different things that he was very superstitious. He green, didn't like green on anything that we did in the souvenir trailer. I remember one cap we did sharp bite had a green undertone on the bill and he, he uh, it didn't matter that we made 6,000 of them. He can get rid of them. I don't want the green underneath it. So there, he was superstitious to a certain extent. Um, wasn't there a penny that he glued to it? Well, that was the that was the Daytona five hundred win that the kid had mm-hmm. gave him and you know and that's a story in itself. Um, you know, Dale's passionate, um, but he cared and you know, he, he helped that kid. Um, he helped a kid um, you know, that was dying and Dale when Dale talked to you, he wanted to know about you. You know, he didn't want to really talk racing unless it, that was his business. He wanted to get to know you about hunting. And he wanted to get to know you about fishing or he wanted to get to know what made you turn. And when he found out, you know, what was going on with the kid, he wanted to find out, you know, could he help or, you know, what was going on or how long they had to live. And he was very cordial to the parents. He he really cared. And he actually, you know, I, I won't give you the numbers, but that that shot uh, to a particular kid that was dying and They said he had less than seven or eight months to live. Um, He asked the parents what can, you know, what can happen. And they said, you know, we can give them the shot. And, and Dale paid for the shot for almost a year, over a year and a half. And that kid lived longer. He paid for it. And that was expensive money. I, like I said, I'm not going to tell the number. But I know that to be true because I know Collier was flying the kid out west, the guy that drew, flew for him, you know, in the plane. And, you know, the conversations happened about how that all went down. And one time I was coming up Highway 3. The house is not there anymore. But I'd go hunting with Dale on his property. And we would we would hunt. And, you uh, I had, uh, me and Dale had hunted, uh, the previous week at, uh, Charlotte. And then the next week it was always Martinsville back in the fall. And, uh, we, we come by and we seen this, uh, we seen this gentleman pushing an older lady, um, in a wheelchair across some gravels to, to this modular home. And me and Dale both at the same time, cause we were driving together from the racetrack at Charlotte and we, we drove by and we both like looked and it's, just, it's his you know technically his neighbor you know not too far from his house and we both looked never said a word didn't say anything so the next week dale calls me and he said hey before you go to the um wilkesboro he said i want you to come by and hunt with me on thursday then you go on you know park and do whatever you got to do with the trailers and i said sure i'll be there I'll, I'll come around one o'clock he said yeah we'd be in a tree stand about three so i go up highway three and i go by that same gravel lot or whatever for that home and i i mean i was just amazed it was pavement no more gravel and it was a ramp up to this modular home and i knew immediately dale did it knew immediately immediately and so i get there i pull up Yeah, back then it was the brand new taj mahal and so you know they knew you was coming and they hit the gate and you just pull in i pull into the bush deer head shop and i walked in i said man, i seen the dangest thing and he looked at me and said what are you talking about i said man i you remember last week when we seen that man you know pushing that woman in a wheelchair he got that shit eating grin he said what happens at the farm stays at the farm hmm. and he meant it for his neighbors too but dale was that kind of person that a lot of people never seen because he wanted to be mysterious he wanted people to to Th- not yeah, the know. persona he wanted to do it, the intimidator. Yeah, but he was, was very, a soft. He was a heart. He was he was a, a good man.
1: Okay, and so so, and we're learning so much. I mean, and and believe me, for the listeners, we're going to have you on a, a bunch, Chris, because you know we've got a whole race series to go through. We're going to be doing our podcast uh, locally at the race scene. We're going to catch the flavors for you of the Smart uh, Series Tour. But as we wind down this podcast, as we've talked about. The great release when he won the Daytona 500 in 1998. You both were there when we lost Dale. If you can, give us both your perspective, if it's not too painful.
2: Yeah, um, I um, had raced on Saturday, and I was spotting for my brother on Sunday. And at Daytona, we typically had uh, multiple spotters. You'd have somebody on the front stretch and then have somebody on the back stretch. So I was spotting for Elliot. He was driving for the Wood Brothers. I was spotting on the backstretch. And Elliot had gotten into a not a wreck to put him out of the race, but he had gotten dinged up on something early in the race. So he was just kind of riding around trying to finish. And the other thing that Chris knows also is just as competitive as the racing he is on the track, there's an even bigger race to get to the airport. Absolutely. After a race to come home because and these guys had these jet airplanes and stuff. If you were late getting in line to fly out at a place like Daytona, you sit on the jetway for two and a half hours burning fuel. Burning fuel. Yep. It cost you $10,000 to sit there on the jetway. So it was really a. So I had been there the whole time. And so Elliot was not in the lead draft at the end. He was back because he was damaged. So when. Elliot came by me for the last time. I started coming down off the backstretch grandstands and was running to get to the airport Mm. because I knew – because Elliot and him would get on golf carts still in the uniform and haul butt to the airport. So we – I mean, within, within 15 minutes of the race being over, we were on the airplane. And had no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I didn't even see the wreck. But Elliot, so I I was first one to the plane. Then Elliot and Brett and the rest of our crowd, we hauled butt to the plane and we buttoned up. Because back in those days, we didn't have like a serious radio or anything like that. So we, we didn't have any entertainment on the plane. But Elliot went by the crash. He did.
1: But he, did. he just didn't think it was... No, he got on the, the plane and I said...
2: We were, got ready to take off, and yeah. I said, man, sorry you had a bad day, whatever. And he said, yeah, da-da-da-da-da, blah 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 I said, well, who won? And uh, he said, Michael Walter won, you know, da 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 didn't And um, I said, I heard a bunch of people hollering on the last lap what happened. he said, yeah, Earnhardt and Schrader and some of them got hung up, you know, on turn four. Like it wasn't – Yeah, we we didn't have any idea that it was any kind of big deal at all. And we took right off. I mean, we left. Yeah. And like I said, we had no communication. I mean, now you get on the, these planes, you can communicate, and you can text and oh, all yeah. this. Yeah. We didn't have any of that. So when we landed in Emporia and we pulled around and taxied up to the house there in Emporia, my mom and my dad and my sister were, met us at the airport, mm-hmm. which was strange in itself. Mm-hmm. Especially Elliot didn't win and I didn't win on Saturday So, you know, it was odd to see them. So I just, we pulled around, taxied around, let the door down and got off. And they walked up to the side of the plane and just looked at us and they were all like white. white. Yeah. And we, what's wrong? And my dad said, David Arnold died, got killed. And we're like, what? Mm -hmm. We, We had no idea. And Elliot, to your point, I never saw it live because I was already on the way to the airplane. But Elliot drove by and saw it and got on the plane, the plane. and just didn't. Yeah. Because he didn't make didn't another look like that in Iraq.
1: I mean, not even to us that were just watching on the TV, we never thought that that was what yeah. was so, serious. So I'm. I mean. and, and
2: let me say one more thing before we, yeah. Chris yeah. starts. Yeah. We learned a lot about the angles yeah. of when you hit walls. Yeah. And because of that, Um, we had a lot, not a lot. We had some other people to get injured and get killed in race cars, but we we all, as an industry, we always found a way to, well, his car wasn't good or he, but when it happened to him, it was like, so I guess what I'm saying is we learned so much from that wreck, not only from a wall standpoint angles, but safety that was, that's really when the safety revolution Oh yeah kicked into high gear because then it went from, yeah I don't know about that guy to if it can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And that's when things happened. But we, we did not know until we got back to Emporia.
3: Yeah. Chris. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I got some memoirs and stuff that I'm doing for a book, but I'm going to, I'm going to ease into this because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, interesting. So 18 days before, <clears throat> you know, the, the tragic day I was hunting with Dale at the farm and we were in the same tree stand cause we always hunted. and he'd hang one above you or whatever. And you know, he would sit there and talk to you in your ear and make you sure you weren't going to shoot a buck that he didn't want shot. You know, it's just Dale's deal. And he, he stops for a second and he says, Hey, um, they want me to quit. I was like, all right. I said, who's they? And they said, the doctor and Teresa. I said, I got my neck fixed. And they said, You know if i have a frontal impact anymore you know it could it could kill me and i'm like whoa wait a minute i said
2: was this after talladega or
3: was this what what wreck calls the um he he suffered through that for a couple of years if you remember he had that mysterious deal happen to him at darlington Mm -hmm. um that was part of it Mm -hmm. because he never got the neck fixed and stuff and you know i don't think anybody's ever told this story it's never been known to many people of what was going on i mean it ain't been talked about you know, Teresa or anybody else. I mean, it's just hadn't been, but I mean, I lived it. I was there. I know. And so I was like, well, if it's health related, quit. We we had an extensive, another hour conversation about all of it. But he told me at that, that if he had a frontal impact, he could probably perish. And so we go to Daytona and nobody think about it. I mean, he ran good down there that week. If you remember, he had that Uh, unbelievable save in the IROC series. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't win, but, you know, that's when he, you know, walked up to what's-his-name and told him, you know, I've never punched a man in a car to get out, but, you know, he ended up not hitting him. But the whole week was unbelievable. And, you know, that that morning of the 500, um, I I never really asked Dale for an autograph. I mean, I got plenty of them, but I never asked for one. And Jay Whitney, that represented Coke, Um, Dale had drove the um, Trans Am car the week before, and we had got the cars in the day before, and the president and a few people from Coca-Cola wanted the car sign, the Corvette. And so I'm like, Jay's like, you got to get it. You got to get it. You got to get it now. And this was Sunday. I mean, you know, you just didn't approach Dale on Sunday. You know, it's a lot that the drivers do the same thing, but it just so happens Dale was uh, doing a couple of interviews um, a lot of people seen them you know you're gonna see something you've never seen today it was on the broadcast it was you know it was it was the whole deal that morning and so Dale pops inside and I said hey let's let me handle this just let me figure it out you know because I'm like how am I gonna get this signed and I knew they were going to walk out which
2: says a lot about Dale Earnhardt when the guy, it's his yeah. sidekick yeah. every day about merchandise does not want to ask for his autograph. Yeah, right.
3: yeah. And, uh, when he's in that mode. Yeah, when he's in that mode. Yeah. And you knew when to approaching. Yeah. You knew. And so I waited and waited, waited, so you know how it used to be, you know, about 38 minutes. Back then, you'd go out, walk through the garage, and go on pit road, go to the driver intro, sit at your car for 10 minutes, take a few pictures, bolt up, right? So I knew the only chance I had to get these autographs was to wait till he was walking to pit road. It's the only chance I had. So he comes out and he sees me, but he sees the Coke guys there, Jay Whitney and all those guys with these big jackets on from Coke. He says, what do you need? You know, Dale had a way of uh, expressing to everybody what was going on and what's happening. And I said, Dale, I said, "Uh, these cars come in and these Coke execs would like to have your autograph. He said, you know I don't do this on race day. You know, I mean, you know, he's giving me the down and out. I mean, just like, Chris, you know better than this, but he's signing the whole time, right? Signing the whole time. And I was like, I got it done, but, man, I'm taking a butt-chewing, you know. I'm just – he's giving it to me, right? So he signs the last one, and uh, he turns around, and he said, this one's Chris. The last one he signed, right? He said, this one's Chris. I was like, okay. Okay. He grabs me like he always did. He always oh, grabs me. He, he grabs me. Whatever that muscle is at, at the top of your neck. And he would just bring you down. Right. Well, he grabs me and he says, walk with me. So we start walking to Pitt Road and he says, they won't ask for that shit again because he gave me such a hard time. He knew that J&M wouldn't ask that favor anymore. He says, make sure you get that last one. And to this day, I have that autograph, wow. Corvette. And, and it could be. could be the last autograph ever. But, uh Anyway, so we walk out on pit road and when we got to pit road, he said, I got work to do. So him and Teresa just walk out, you know, go to driver's intro and stuff of that nature. So I go out to the souvenir traders as I always did. And, uh, by that time, you know, we're doing money drops there's a lot, a lot of process that goes on, but I love watching the race. I mean, I always watch the start and then I'd go back and finish my deal. So I got done. Anyway, we're sitting there with a couple laps to go and. I always had Dale and Em's radio in in my deal because we had a private channel, just me and Dale. And you know, there's times during the day, not a race day, but he'd say, "Hey, Chris, go to private channel." And I'd turn it over, and he'd say, "Bring me hats, or bring me this, or how much we done?" Because he was always intrigued. He had his hands and his pulse on everything that went on in, in the series. And so we got about two laps to go, and I I realized that Dale, honestly, I realized Dale wasn't going to win the race. I knew he was blocking something that he never did. He blocked to win, but he never blocked for somebody else to win. And I knew it. And, I'm, and I I almost got depressed, but I also knew at that time he was doing something that he's never
1: done before. Two DEI cars, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And, and and I, like I said, it was air coming out of me, but whatever. All of a sudden, you know, the TV is like, you know, uh, eight seconds or so behind what's going on. We're souvenir trailers outside turn four. And I see this big smoke, and I hear this big thump, and I was like, ah. And Danny Culler, uh, Dale's spotter, says, Dale, you all right? And, and, man, I mean, right now as I'm talking, I got these colors. On the radio. Oh, yeah. And, right. and and I knew. I knew. I I knew. I didn't know. I knew it was serious because 18 days earlier, I knew what he had told me. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? So I told Chuck Sylvie. I said, let's get in the mule. Let's take off. Because everybody's going to start coming out of tunnel in a minute. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we go through the tunnel. And as you go through the tunnel, I said, stop. He said, what? I said, stop. So I ran up on the bank. And that's when Schrader got to the car. And, you know, he started yeah. he started waving. And, I, I mean, I, you know, the sick feeling, you know, just came again. And it's like, you know, and I I was like, what do I do? What do I do? So I, I, I go in, I go through the garage. And. Becky, the Dale had a masseuse, you know, because his neck hurt for a couple of years there and stuff. And she would give him massages and stuff. And uh, she come through and she she was crying. She just hugging me, and I'm like, well, you know, you don't know anything at the time. I didn't know, and so I went to the hauler, and uh, David Allen was there. You know, David represented Wrangler back in the day, represented Jim Goodwrench, a lot of different things. And uh, me and David's really good friends. And David says, hey, I want everybody to get in the holler. I mean, I'm talking about all crews. I'm talking about all the team members, everybody. He said, you too, Chris. And I'm like, Chuck, come with me, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And, and Dave, we sh- we shut the holler doors. I mean, they shut everything. And David says, let's, let's say a prayer, you know, and David goes through the whole prayer deal. And he says, Lord, you know, I, I just want you to wrap your arms around the team. And I want you to be with us for what we're about to go through. And I knew at that moment, it was bad. Like, extremely bad and so um uh patterson wayne patterson uh, i mean excuse me bill patterson that worked for uh, richard and him they needed a ride and so we got a bunch of them on the mule and we we drove out i mean we drove out of the tunnel we drove down um to the hospital to the hospital yeah. on the mule mm-hmm. and we go in the back of the hospital and um uh, as i'm as i'm going in tony stewart is coming out because he flipped uh, twenty five mm-hmm. laps to go, mm-hmm. and he had to go to the hospital. And he, he, and he and he says anything I'll ever do for you, all you got to do is ask. So I mean, you know, strike two, you know. So he wouldn't be telling me unless something was going on. So we, you know, we walked through. Yeah,
2: you know, I never thought about that part. I remember Tony crashing. His remember, I remember, his hood flew up.
3: Yeah, in yeah. the stands yeah. that yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, and so I won't, I won't tell you the next part of the scenario because it involves some other people that was already you know in the emergency room side i won't get into it so we went we went into the chapel everybody that was friends family or uh, souvenir um people like myself or crew members had to go into the chapel and uh basically um i won't i won't tell you the moment but somebody come in and told us we had, we had lost dale and uh you know that moment in in time There's a lot more to that story and a lot about what I can say. But, you know, it it changed everything going forward, everything. I mean, it changed the perception of the sport. It changed the safety in the sport. It changed how everybody approached not only the drivers but the race in itself. It changed how they covered the sport on TV. I mean, everything changed. But you know at that moment I knew I had to leave and go shut down the trailers because you know, that's just what we did. you know I represented some other folks. I mean Davy Allison had passed and we just had to shut the trailers down. so we we went out and shut them down and you know I had to tell um, you know my family at that time you know they were at the condo because as Hermes stayed, nobody knew what was going on and to be honest with you, I had to tell them and I mean the only thing I could only thing I could say and do is we you know I've lost my best friend. I, mean, that's, I I couldn't I, I didn't know how to say it um there's a lot more to that um there's a lot more after that, but um that memory instills uh you know a day in life that you know I hate that everybody that's associated with them had to go through but um you know at the same time, you know a lot of things has changed uh, there's not been another driver pass away since then. Um, I'm not saying everything uh, that caused that wreck was, you know, forefront of the angles and everything else, but it made them think about what could happen. That's right. And if it saved the next person and, you know, bless everybody that was involved and bless the Hans devices, bless everything else that, you know, had to be transpired after that, because, you know, there's a lot of things in life that we go through, but you can't, you can't replace a Bill Stanley. You can't replace Uh A Certainly talent. not a
1: Dale Earnhardt and yeah. lives in immortality. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I mean the, absolutely.
1: I mean to to if you gotta go, I guess unfortunately that's the way well, but, but I'm looking at you right now and I see the joy of, of that bond that you had with him, those years and, and moments and times which you cherished, as you say. And also you can still see the real pain that, that oh, yeah. still sits Oh yeah. I mean I, away
3: as soon as you ask the question and, and and if I took my shirt off right now, I mean I I've got goosebumps because you can't Like I said, you only hear half the story. You only hear a little bit about the conversation. Um, We talked about death. Me and Dale did that day, 18 days before. And he goes into a lot of depth about it, um, you know, about the whole transformation, about, you know, what is a true tragedy. I won't get into that right now, but we talked about it. And uh, so I, 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 I do have reluctance. First time anybody's ever heard the story, uh, yeah. to be honest with you. Powerful. It is. And it is more powerful than that. But at the same time, um, I, I cherish life lessons um, from the drivers and people I represented, especially my, my best friend at the time, Dale. And, uh, you know, he taught me a lot. And um, everybody that ever uh, thought about what Dale represented and what he did, he he did represent the common man. He did represent hard work. Uh, he did represent grassroots growing up into the sport where your daddy just didn't have the money for you to drive. I mean, he had to truly drive to get where he was at. He struggled in monies, and we talked about a lot of those scenarios. And you know, But along the way, I was, I'm just glad I was just a teeny part of the journey.
1: What an incredible story you have, Chris Williams. I, I really want to thank you for sharing that part. I know there's always going to be part of that story that remains private. Yep. But to share that part with us and, and you too, Hermie, because yeah. those are two milestones I think in everybody's life who's a race fan. And uh, I want because we all knew where we were I, when I kinda that happened. I
2: kind of want to pivot back to something a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. we, when I think mostly about Dale now. Yeah. I think. What would Dale say? <laughs> yeah. if He walked into a board meeting right now with what's going on well, with our sport. I kind of, I kind of, truly, I kind of chuckle about it.
3: Well, because he was well
2: such a stickler for things being a certain way and yeah. what NASCAR represented, and and I just, I don't know this, but I, I sometimes, I don't think he would
3: jive. Well, the rest of that story. I'll give you a little bit of this to take with you. When I asked him what he would do if he didn't race, he told me exactly what he was going to do. He told me how he was going to do it and who was involved. And you, to what you're saying right now, and you know this, if I'm telling you this, then you know he was going to be a part of it. Right. Right? Right. So if he's a decision maker, right, it wouldn't be going in a certain way that people
1: think it would be. Oh no. And what a <laughs> glorious sport it would remain to this day. Uh, Chris Williams, I really want to thank you for opening up. You know, we have a lot of fun together. All three of us uh, have a lot of laughs and, and we've had some today, but I think we've, uh, we've, we've entered into some territory and some memories that that I think are really important to share, especially with our listeners. And because that's history. Yeah. And when we talk about preserving the history of racing, your memories are part of that history, and preserving that are just as important. So and I I'm do just think, blown I, away by this, this whole uh, podcast today, and I really appreciate Chris.
2: I do think that he would hopefully is smiling down on you now for what you're doing with the Smart Amen. Modified Tour and the grassroots racing and what we're trying to do and what Bill and I have done and how this whole thing has come together. And the, I can say it, hundreds and hundreds of people that this partnership that we've got along with pacematic, and otherwise I I have to believe that he he uh he is uh oh, yeah. tickled about by, by what's going on. Oh, right yeah. Here.
3: I mean, you know, I can go deeper in that. I mean, you know, I know some of those private conversations about the the Dale Juniors and the Kelly's and, and, and the Carries and stuff and you know, just seeing and I'll say this and I haven't told him but I mean we haven't talked much but I know I know his thoughts about Kelly and Kerry and Dale Jr., and I, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, they, they have matured so much even since 2001. Um, I, I can see, you know, what Dale was hoping would happen and some of the things that we talked about come to fruition. So there's no way he wouldn't be smiling and being proud of uh, the heritage, you know, and what people in the sport – really try to do, which is is build it
1: up. And the Earnhardt name is stronger than ever with all of his his children. And quite frankly, um, you know, I find comfort after my dad died a month after I graduated from college at the age of 21. That he walks with the angels now, and you will see him again. We ah, yeah. all shall, and I Absolutely. bet he's racing on the best, most glorious racetrack we've ever seen, and coming in first.
3: Well, I guarantee you, he ain't spinning out, Kell. you I mean, uh, David Pearson and uh, a few of those others, because Neil would rack him up too. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's Man, his buddies. What, right? what, what a time! What yeah. time
2: they're having up there? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. has been great, Chris. Thank yeah. you so much. We look forward to seeing everybody Saturday this week down yes. in Florence, South Carolina, at the kickoff race of the Smart Modified Tour, Sadler Stanley Racing. Proud to be a part of the series. Bill, take us home.
1: Yes. I'm Senator Bill Stanley in this very monumentous, uh, monumental uh, podcast. I'm Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right.
2: I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. We'll see everybody at Florence Motor Speedway this weekend for the Smart Modified Tour, and back next week for more leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. God bless you all.